welcome to the podcast of Imago Day Community Eastside Gathering. Join us in this Sunday service as we look to the scriptures, seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ. Good morning, Imago Day. How y'all doing this morning? Awesome. So good to see you. So glad to be here. So um, we are in a series called Giving Life. And it's our Advent series, and in this series, we're talking about and looking at the amazing gift that God gave us in Jesus Christ and how we take that gift and display that gift and extend that gift to the rest of the world. Amen? So what I want you to do is turn to, or if you're on your tablet or smartphone, go to John, the sixth chapter, and the 25th verse. Now, I'm going to be reading from the NIV. That's the New International Version. Um, If you do not have your Bible with you this morning, you can uh, follow along on the screen. If you don't have a Bible because you don't actually own a Bible, please let me or any of the leaders here know we want to get you a Bible, okay? You should have a Bible. You should own your own Bible. The phones are great, but I want you to have a Bible. So if you need a Bible, let us know and we'll get you one. Um, Question, real quick, while you turn in there, let me poll. Who in here does not like bread? That's a you for real? I feel it's all right. It's okay. Not even gluten free. Nothing. No bread. Okay. But everybody else in here like bread. Okay. Now it's different types of bread. Now when I grew up, we ate Wonder Bread. Now, okay, somebody else eat some Wonder Bread. Now I know Friends got some pretty cool bread. There's Dave's Killer Bread. Anybody eat Dave's Killer Bread? Okay. Okay. What other kind of bread y'all like? Sourdough? Okay. How? Okay. Ooh. Hey, gravy on Mississippi makes some French toast with that bread. Oh, my. It, yes. Yes. Anybody go to Red Lobster and get those cheddar biscuits? Okay. 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 What y'all, who said cornbread? With some yams, though. I got to introduce you to that. It's some candy yams. So when Thanksgiving is getting to the end of the leftovers, you can tell because you take some cornbread and you put it at the bottom of the bowl of the plate. And then you grab some candy yams with that yam juice and you just, uh uh-huh, and that's a meal all by itself. Okay. Uh, Any other breads? What's that? Dark rye. Dark rye? See, that's that sophisticated bread. I, I ain't got there yet, but I, I think I'm going to eventually get to the, to the dark rye. Kind of like uh, dark chocolate. Now, I don't mess with it yet, but, you know, eventually. Uh, Olive Garden, those breadsticks. Anybody do the bread with the Alfredo sauce? Okay, now look, what I'm trying to show you is that <laughs> we all, most of us love bread, right? And the failure of many diets and weight loss journeys is due to people loving bread. And they just can't get enough of bread. But this isn't a new reality. In John chapter 6, Jesus gave these folks some bread that was so fire, they literally went on a manhunt to go find him because they wanted more bread. It just keeps you coming back. It just keeps you coming back. So let's look at John 25, I'm sorry, John chapter 6, verse 25, and this is where we pick up. It says, they found him on the other side of the lake, and they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? 
Now, what's funny about this question is, like I just said, so what happened is he fed the 5,000, 5,000 men. There were children and women there, so probably about 15,000, somewhere in there, people that he had just fed. Now, when they seen him do these miraculous works, they knew that he was the actual prophet. And the scripture says that they were going to try to take him and force him into being their king right then. So what Jesus did was some ninja Jesus, and he kind of created an illusion and got out of there before they could notice. So he left, he went to the other side of the lake, walked on water, all of that occurred. They woke up and was like, where'd Jesus go? So they went on this whole hunt for Jesus. So I think it's funny that it says when they found him, they asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? Like they bumped into him at Walmart. No, like you went searching for him. You put up wanted posters, like you were looking for him and you didn't just stumble into him. But this is what he says. 26, Jesus answered, verily, truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. I love this response. Jesus is like, look, let's be clear. I know exactly why you're here. You're not here because you want more of me. You're here because you know that through me, you can get what you really want, which is your belly full. See, miracles and signs and wonders are supposed to point us to Jesus, but he's the point. He's the end. He's not a means to our end. But like many of us, they were more impressed with what Jesus could do for them than they were in awe of who Jesus actually really is. And so we have to be careful as believers, especially those of us who kind of grow up in religious circles and have kind of been doing this religious thing for a minute, because if we're not careful, what we'll end up doing is taking Jesus, and instead of being in full pursuit of his purpose for our life, we'll take him and use him as a tool in the construction of the life we desire for ourselves. And that's what they're doing. And it can look the same on the outside, but the posture and the motive of the heart are worlds apart. From the outside, it can look like someone's end is to want to serve and love on their community. But the goal and the motive and the intention could be to get fame and recognition and notoriety. Sometimes we've seen people who say that their end and their goal is to preach a gospel so that people would know Jesus and be saved from their sin and bondage and live a free life but often have been exposed that the true motive and the true end was bigger house, nicer car, private jet, etc., etc. Someone could call you up and say, hey, let's go for a ride. I miss you so much, friend. I miss you. We ain't hung out in a long time. Let's go take a drive together. And it can look like just friendship and just wanting to be close. But in the end, they actually know that their destination is Jansen Beach. And this Portland traffic is terrible. And if I got you on my passenger seat, I can take that carpool lane, right? It can look the same. Somebody done had that happen to them before. They're like, hey, I recognize that. Whatever is your end, you'll use everything else, including Jesus, to attain it, but it won't truly satisfy. And you'll just keep using people and using resources and using things until you've used everything up. But if Jesus is your end, then you'll use everything else to satisfy him. 
And through him, you will experience actual satisfaction. Let's move on. Verse 27. Jesus says, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. See, so here Jesus is contrasting the spiritual food with the natural food, one that will spoil, which he uses that language intentionally, and one that will endure for eternal life. Let's keep reading. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? 29, Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Now we fully believe that we are saved by grace through faith and not by our works. Amen? Amen. But let's, let's be real though. Have any of us ever been in a place where it felt like it took a lot of work to even believe? Sometimes it feels like the devil or the culture or the age are all just working overtime to awaken or to agitate the doubts that they know live deep and down inside of us. And we find ourselves fighting with everything in us to just believe. And we find ourselves kind of like the father in Mark chapter 9 who says, Jesus, I believe, but please help my unbelief. So look, this isn't commonly like talked about, right? And so you could feel like you're by yourself, like you're the only one with doubts. You're not. You are not alone. I would dare say every person in this place who believes in Christ still has a doubt, some doubts that they battle and struggle with. I have those moments in those seasons, definitely. Don't beat yourself up. Jesus already knows where you're struggling to trust him and believe in him. It's no surprise to him. And the fact that you have doubts but are still here and are still pressing into Jesus is evidence that your faith is still and actively at work. So give yourself a break. Now, I have to do this on a lesser level kind of every day, working to believe. Sometimes we have to work to believe because I'm a big dude, right? Somebody say amen. Amen. Okay. <laughs> So I'm a big dude, so when we come, and I'm speaking for all big dudes, now this may not be your testimony, but I'm speaking for all big dudes. When we come into a place like this and we see a chair like this, right? Some of y'all see a chair and you just sit down all willy-nilly. That's a privilege, okay? Now what we do is, we know we kind of inspecting it a little bit, you know? We do a little pressure test, can it, you know? And then even when we sit, finally, it's like a... Uh, like okay and eventually we like you know okay we good right but it takes it took it to, like I needed to know like is it safe is it sturdy I'm looking at cracks in it there's dents how old is it when was it made was it rusted like there's just a whole lot that we sometimes have to go through to help induce and encourage and strengthen our belief and so in the same way Whatever work you got to do to believe, do that work. You're not working for salvation. You're working to fight off the enemy who is working over time because he wants you to doubt. 
He wants you to give in to the doubt. He wants you to curse the Father. He wants you to forget Jesus, forsake Jesus. He wants you to live for your own glory. So believe. Keep believing and do whatever work you have to do to keep believing. But make sure that that belief is grounded in the finished work of Jesus Christ. His grace, his redemption. So he tells these Jewish followers to do the work of believing in the one who he has sent. Not just to believe an idea, not believe merely in just the existence of Jesus, but to believe in the one he has sent. And as religious as they were, as know-it-all as they were, that probably was work for them too. To take all that they had known about the law, all that they thought they'd known about the Messiah, the coming king, and to believe this Jesus. And maybe that's why they got borderline disrespectful. Because as we keep reading in verse 30, it says, So they asked him, What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? 31, Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. See, now this is one of those passages where I most noticed the gap between Jesus and myself. This is one of those passages where I recognize that I am the chief among sinners and that um, he ain't through with me yet. Because they just asked Jesus, what you going to do to prove to me that you are worthy of my trust? Literally, as they were asking that question, if I'm Jesus, I'm literally sewing their mouth shut <laughs> as they asking it. You said you want to see a sign, a miracle? I can't, I can't hear you. What? Like, like the level of petty that I would exhibit in this scenario. And even for them, in chapter 2, he had turned water to wine. First miracle, right? In chapter 4, he healed the royal officer's uh, son, the royal official's son. In chapter 5, he healed the man by the pool, told him, take up your, your mat and walk. And just the day before this, he took a Popeye's $5 box and fed 15,000 people. <laughs> and it made me think about the reality that sometimes we don't need to see any more evidence from God. Sometimes we just need to take the revelation, the signs, the wonders, the experiences that he's already given us and make a decision. It's not that you lack the evidence. It's not that he hasn't worked in your life. It's not that he, you haven't seen him literally move mountains for you. Some of us just like the game. You need to make a decision. If I was Hakeem, he would say, get over yourself <laughs> and believe. Some of us have so much evidence, it actually takes more faith to disbelieve. And then sometimes we do see the miracles and we do see the provision and we do see the evidence, but we're actually giving someone else credit or something else credit. And that's why we're struggling to believe in God. And that's what they did when they say Moses gave their ancestors manna in the wilderness. Jesus had to clap back real quick. Verse 32, Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven. I love that, very truly. See, that's Bible, that's like Bible 
like I'm getting you together real quick in Bible words. That's like, hold on, homie, don't get it twisted, okay? Get your facts straight. Moses didn't give you nothing. I gave you that bread. That's what he's saying. That's what, 2018, that's what he's saying. It is not Moses who given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. 35, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. I am the bread of life. It was not Moses that gave your ancestors manna every morning, but it was the same God who is offering you greater manna right now. A bread from heaven that gives life to the world. He says, I'm more more than satisfaction for your belly. I'm sustenance for your soul from now into the eternal life. The work of God is to believe in the one God has sent. Believe what about him? That he is the bread of life. Believe that he alone is what sustains you. Believe that with him you have everything and without him you will never have enough. Just striving, striving, continual striving, but it'll never be enough. He repeats it in verse 46. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. He multiplies bread out of compassion to feed the hungry. He cares about the needs in this life. Some have this idea that God is only concerned about salvation. There's no work to do if it's not at the end of the day about salvation. And I believe there is truth to that. The goal is that all would come to believe. In every work, God would say that the goal is that all would come to believe. But that does not ignore the very natural and real needs of people. He did not go to them just with this this, this truth of who he was as the bread of life and in in, in promising eternal life, but he just fed them with two fish and five loaves until each person had their fill and there were leftovers. Everybody ate as much as they needed. And sometimes you have to meet the natural need before they can even hear about the spiritual from you. Sometimes you have to earn the right to be heard. Because how do I believe you care about me when I'm telling you I'm hurting, I'm telling you I'm starving, I'm telling you I'm thirsty, and all you want to keep pushing on me is your agenda? So it's not this either or. We don't have to pit them against each other. It's all about conversion or it's all about the the natural. It, It is both. Pray to God for wisdom. 
situation by situation, what he's calling you to do, what he needs you to be in that space. It's not just that black and white. So he multiplies the bread out of compassion because he cares about their needs in this life, but he wouldn't be good if he only cared about your hunger in this life because it's only a vapor. We're here for a very short while. And he says that that was an illustration pointing to a bigger hunger, a hunger for acceptance and belonging and purpose and fulfillment and satisfaction. He is the bread of life broken for the world. given for the world, and by his broken body, we are given life. But he's better than manna from heaven. He sustains with a different type of life, eternal life. So Jesus is the life that we are sustained by day in and day out. Jesus comes to both give bread, but also be bread. I'm coming to give you bread. I know you're hungry. But I'm also, I'm also bread. I'm coming to give you me, like feast on me. So just as Jesus took bread, broke it into pieces, and shared it with those who were hungry, he also then took his body, broke it, and shared it with all of us who would believe in him that we might be sustained spiritually. So we too then have a responsibility not to just enjoy this bread, but to extend this life-giving bread to others in both natural and spiritual ways. And so during this series, we're hearing stories from folks in our communities that are doing just that. Folks who are taking the truth of the gospel and taking it beyond just knowledge and just something that we know and believe within us, but saying, God, how do I reach that handout and continue your work in the earth? And so today we're going to hear from two folk here from Eastside. Um, I want to call up Aaron and Chelsea, and they're going to share a little bit. And uh, let's give them a hand as they come. Hi, I'm Aaron, and I co-lead the refugee ministry, which actually involves both campuses. We have a lot of people involved from both. Um, Danielle Mayfield has an English class that several of you from here volunteer with and I help with. Um, and I, what's kind of fascinating about this is when I started, it was not very controversial. So in the last few years, this has dramatically changed what it means to be engaged in this realm. Um, from a few years ago when it was in the news everywhere to the election and kind of the impact that that has had. Um, and then... This year, where it's been less in the news, but where what we're hearing from really the resettlement agencies is that this program has really been decimated. There's very few um, new people coming in. And so what I want to share a little bit about is what that, what that has looked like as we've transitioned from having a lot of people interested, a lot of opportunity to volunteer, to this year really questioning, is this, should there be a refugee ministry? Should Imago have a refugee ministry? And over the summer and fall, we met with our partners, with some of the resettlement agencies, and really heard that there are still some arrivals and that they're, they're struggling to get volunteers. It's not in the news. This has really impacted them. Um, and then also what we have heard from the Imago community, what we hear from email and from questions, is a lot of 
um, questions about how to advocate well, how to advocate for refugees and really for, for immigration. It gets muddled up a lot. And then a lot of questions about um, what does it mean? What is a refugee, an immigrant, an asylum seeker? What are those categories? How do they differ? And so it's changed. And what, what we spent um, several weeks of the fall as a team praying about was what should the Imago Refugee Ministry look like? And really landing on that there's these two pieces that we have, um, that, that Imago has an opportunity to help our community understand what it is, what a refugee, immigrant, asylum seeker, what those are in the education piece, as well as in advocacy. How do we advocate well um, for our new neighbors in Portland? Um, and you'll hear more about that in the next year as we, as we launch into that. And one of the opportunities to volunteer um, that still exists is this cultural navigator role that Chelsea has done. So she's going to tell us a little bit about that. So a few years ago, my family, um, along with a few other Imago families, was matched with um, a family of 10 coming out of the Congo. And um, they, from the very beginning, it's been this beautiful and messy and transformational process where um, the first day that I met them, my daughter at the time was a couple months old, and they needed a ride to a thrift store where they'd been given a voucher to get some items for um, their apartment. They hadn't yet been placed in an apartment, but they needed um, clothing. They needed all their basic necessities. And so um, I showed up with my few-month-old daughter. We go into the thrift store. They speak no English whatsoever. I speak no Swahili whatsoever. And so we spent the whole time doing lots of charades and me trying to read things off of my Google Translate because they couldn't read it and me like hiding behind stacks of clothes to nurse my daughter and change her diaper while they're picking out clothes and needing more and more baskets. And um, it was this hilarious, beautiful, messy process where we were just kind of figuring it out together. And then my daughter screamed all the way from Milwaukee to St. John's because she hated the car at that point. And they're like trying to calm her down in the back and trying to tell me to pull over and feed her because they thought she was hungry. And me trying to explain that, no, she's not hungry. She hates the car. Um, and, you know, since then, um, as we went through that process, it was a lot of giving them rides to appointments and figuring out where they could get connected to community resources, moving them into their apartment. Um, our home community showed up and made sure that they all had winter coats because they're from East Africa and didn't have winter coats. Um, and so just figuring out some of the logistics for them as they transitioned into life here and um, helping them get their first Christmas tree and trying to explain why it was we were bringing a tree into their house. <laughs> Um, so it was this really cool process where we got to come alongside of each other and barely even speaking to each other, but holding each other's babies and smiling at each other a lot and um, trying to figure things out together. So one, one of the reasons why Chelsea is here is what there, there's some practical needs in this, right? With, with refugee families, there are some, like somebody needs a coat or with Danielle's class in Developing English skills is a very real need, but what we've found is this: the refugee experience is very isolating. You don't understand the culture, how to ride the bus and do these things. You don't speak the language. It's an incredibly isolating experience. And so what people most need is really good neighbors, um, friends and friends and relationships, which is, as Chelsea described, it's quite a messy adventure often. Um, and what, so Chelsea started this two and a half years ago, 
So your official commitment as a volunteer with the resettlement agency is well over by now, right? So can you tell us a little bit about what that looks like today? Yeah, so after the first six months that we had committed to where their case manager was giving us appointments that they needed to get to and some of the logistics of getting them set up in housing and schooling and um, access to their food benefits and things like that, um, since that time, it's looked like just continuing to show up in relationship with them. And so um, at the very beginning, I had no way to contact them and let them know I was going to show up. So I would just randomly show up at their apartment, and they were always so excited to see us. Um, sometimes it meant like taking them to Multnomah Falls or um, helping getting them connected to a Swahili-speaking church, um, sharing meals together, trying to read um, the kids' homework and kind of translate the syllabus that's completely in English to kids that are trying to figure that out. Um, and continuing to figure out what it means to, to walk alongside of each other. And it's been a lot more of like sitting and doing charades and smiling at each other. And the, the kids have picked up more and more English as they've been here. Um, but it's been this really beautiful process of just continuing to get to spend time together and um, kind of walk alongside them as they're getting resettled into Portland. They had issues come up this year around housing where they needed to move and couldn't find a place and they had some problems with taxes and things like that. And so just continuing to walk with them as they figure that out and also um, to watch as, as my daughter got to build relationships and play with their kids and running around in the back and just getting to spend time together and letting them teach me words in Swahili and um, just continuing to, to be present with them. This has been such a huge process and transformation for me and learning how to be present and how to be available um, in their lives and, and watching as they pour into ours as well. Which is just such a great um, combination of that, meeting some practical needs but building relationship along the way, which is how most of our volunteer opportunities kind of um, build. I've been involved in Danielle's English class for a little over a year and just love the way that that really is sometimes about English and often about uh, friendships as well. And um, also have loved the engagement of the MAGA community. And last last year in Advent, um, really Danielle and I had this idea to do baby gifts. So, so Central had one of their Advent trees. They collected baby gifts for refugee families. And really from this idea is we had, as a team, brainstormed ideas of ways that the larger community could engage and come alongside um, people from Imago that were in relationship with refugees and looking at who do you give baby shower gifts to? Who do you throw a baby shower for and who do you give baby shower gifts to? You give them to your, your sister, your friends, your coworkers, your peers, your neighbors. And taking this idea in that it's meeting a practical need, but also um, within the context of, of refugee families, it's, it's, not, it's saying not just um, please come and survive and, and survive here, but it's saying please come and grow your family here. Come and thrive. Um, we want you here. We want to be alongside you and part of your community. And so we gathered baby gifts last year um, and, and have given out some of those, but um, Chelsea's actually given out some of them, so have her tell us about that. So last, uh, just before Christmas last year, we found out that the family was um, pregnant with their eighth child, 
and in a very small apartment, and they showed up here when their first, um, or their youngest was already at least a year old, so they had no baby gear whatsoever. Um, and so it was really um, awesome to have a church community that had already set aside some resources specifically for that. And so when we found out that um, Amisa, the mother, was pregnant, we were like, oh, so excited for it. And we told her, baby party, because that was the only way that we <laughs> could figure out how to get across that we wanted to help them um, with some of the resources it would take to um, start fresh with a, a newborn here. And so... Um, we told her we wanted to do that, and we figured out a time um, with some other families that had known them when they first arrived. And so I called them a week ahead of time to make sure, because I knew enough to know that if I just showed up, they might not be there. So I was like, baby party, Sunday, 3 o'clock, you know, made sure that, like, we knew we could come pick them up, and it takes three vehicles to get their whole family somewhere. So we showed up. We're, like, so excited. We, like, decorated. We had the presents from Imago and had collected others, and they weren't there. And there's a couple of kids at the house, and we're like, where are they? And they were like, oh, they're grocery shopping. And we're like, where'd they go? I don't know. When are they going to be back? I don't know. So we sat in their house for like an hour until they came back with their groceries. Um, and then took them over to their baby party. Um, and the kids were just so excited. And the, the mom um, shared with us, she said, the baby is going to be named Shakuru, which means thankful. Um, and it was just this beautiful... Um, testament to her strength and resilience and what God is doing in their lives and um, they continue to teach me through the strength and, and that they have and so um, it was this really cool thing where we got to show up alongside of them as as um, their new baby came into the world and they called once um, she was born and we got to come over and see um, Shakuru when she was a few days old and um, I actually this week for the first time since my son was born who's um, a couple months old now got to go introduce him uh, to the, their family and they were so excited to see him and they actually sent me home with diapers that they had outgrown, um, she was like size two, two, and then she ran and got a box of leftover diapers that they had and sent me home with a box of diapers, and that just kind of speaks to what um, our relationship has become um, over the last year. Thank you. Um, so re really just being, like, we're, that Chelsea is thankful to this community, that we've been so thankful to this community in the ways that um, these baby gifts are just meeting a practical need, but also... Um, have been really encouraging for those of us in relationship with refugee families in this in this last year, and that this is a very it's it's messy it's a very messy um, r relationships along the way when you don't speak a language and you're learning and you you sort of have shared experiences along the way and also um, just that it has been politically a very challenging time for these families to be engaged in that um, and that. It, it has just been a really cool experience to, to feel like the Imago community is, as a larger community, is really supportive of that and coming alongside that. So thank you for letting us share. Check one, two. Is that great or what? That's incredible. Thank you both for sharing. Yeah, the worship team is coming up. Um, so as I wrap up, uh, I want to read, I didn't give this to you guys uh, in the back, but I want to read from the same book, same chapter. I want to go to verse 53, and you don't have to turn there. But Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, 
Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I will live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died. But whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Now this message, this teaching shrunk those thousands who were following him, those thousands who were intrigued with him, those thousands who had come after him and hunted him down and wanted more food for the belly. And it shrunk that number back down to his 12. Because it says this was a very hard teaching. And the reality is that speaks to the reality in, of believing something and believing in something. I knew that chair was there. I knew that chair was made to hold people. I was skeptical about whether I would sit. And eventually I believed in it enough. How did you know? How did y'all know I, I believed in it? I sat down, right? Like I lounged, like I put my full weight into the chair and, and just gave everything into the chair. It's a difference in believing on something, believing something exists and believing in something. And the work of God is to believe in the one he sent, namely Jesus. And so this type of message, the same way, might not call a bunch of people to Jesus, but might scatter some folk when it comes to actually putting the rubber to the road. But the question is, will we believe? Do we believe? And so I think it was kind of like a ram in the bush situation where then they didn't know that his bread and his blood would be likened to bread and, or his flesh and his blood would be likened to bread and wine. And so those who ended up in the upper room with him, his disciples, when it was actually time to feast on Jesus, they had to be so relieved when it was like, oh, he didn't give me his pinky, like, okay, nibble. He was, but there was actually, <laughs> but there was actually bread and wine and a substitute. But he said, this is my body, right? This is my blood. Like, don't take it more lightly because it's less gory or whatever. Where'd the music go? Oh, it's all right. I was just like, <laughs> sorry. It's just, I was just like, it stopped. Like, what happened? Um, <laughs> that's my boy. And so now, 2,000 years later, we still publicly declare our need for him and our full satisfaction in him by taking this bread, this wine, this juice, and trusting and believing in the one that God has sent to sustain us for all of eternity through his life that was also given as a different type of bread. See, in the black community, we call money bread sometimes. 
And I find that funny. I don't got time to get into it, but I got some thoughts about that. But anyway, the reality is there was a ransom over your life and my life that needed to be paid for you to receive salvation from the wrath of God and from the bondage of sin. So the father sent his son Jesus as a gift of grace and full payment to satisfy that debt. And the currency was the sacrifice of his very life and his blood that washed away every last one of our sins that we might be reconciled back to God and to each other and to creation. And that payment was validated when Jesus rose from the grave victorious and ascended back to his throne to reign and rule forever. And that's what he invites us into, his forever. But his forever begins now. He's not inviting you to this thing futuristically. He's inviting you to join him, to feast on him, to live your life through his life now. This is not an insurance policy. A lot of people say, well, 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 what, well, it's better to live as if he exists and die and realize he doesn't than to live like he doesn't exist and then die and realize that he does. And I get the logic, but Jesus is not an insurance policy. He has come that you might have life now and have it more abundantly now in this life into the eternal so come that you might have life now. And during these next few songs, we'll respond to God in worship. That'll include prayer. Our prayer team will be in the back toward the right. Communion table is open. And we're going to sing songs of worship. So let me pray. And you can stand or take whatever posture. And let's, let's respond to God's word. Dear God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that you are bread. You are all-sustaining, all-satisfying, everything that we would ever need. And God, some of us are failing to understand how that really works. We're not seeing that reality as we encounter life and stress and suffering. And God, I pray that you would reveal by your spirit what it means to be fully satisfied in you. I pray that those who are struggling to understand or believe would reach out to other brothers and sisters in the faith that they know have a better grasp on this and that we would do the work, whatever work we need to do to continue to believe in the one the Father has sent. God, be our everything. May our hearts bow to no other falsehood. May it not be something that we feel forced into, but God, do work on our hearts to where you are actually our deepest desire. And Spirit, give us the faith and the perseverance to carry that out. You are good. You are sovereign. 
you are holy. And God, we worship you. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. We pray that God will use this message to strengthen your faith and draw you into a deeper relationship with himself. If you're interested in hearing other sermons or want more information about the church, please visit our website at idceastside.com. Thanks for listening.